Hey, as we get started today, thanks, man. Um, I have two questions for you. The first question is, who is Jesus? Um, this is the name, the title of the series that we are currently in, and uh, this is also the most important question that you can answer in your life, because your answer to this question has eternal impact, right? And so we are focusing on who Jesus says that he is, because we don't want to um, formulate our own opinion. So we are looking at who Jesus says that he was. And so in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes seven I am statements. And today we're going to be in John chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at um, two of those I am statements today that are, that are different. They are different statements. They should be differentiated. However, they are so closely related together um, that they are tied together in the same thought process of Jesus that we are going to be covering both of those today. And my second question for you is, who has ever watched the show Let's Make a Deal? Has anybody, does anybody know that show? Okay, so there's um, a certain amount of people in the room that have seen that show. Uh, but that show has basically been on since the 60s. Um, and Monty Hall was the host in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, I don't know, for a long time. And then now Wayne Brady is actually the host of the show today. Um, and I think they filmed all of the episodes on Halloween night because people just dress up um, like crazy people and go on this show. Um, but... Uh, the idea of this show is that you are given something and you can make a deal to upgrade it to something else. It could be um, an awesome deal. It could be an awesome prize. It could be what they call a zonk. Um, it could be worth um, a can of corn or something like that. But at the end of every episode, there is this famous big deal, right? And so this big deal at the end of every episode, there are three doors and a contestant can um, give away everything that they have won up to that point in the episode, and they can give it all away for the chance to win what is behind either door number one, two, or three. You're choosing. And guess what? There's always a brand new car. And, uh, uh, but behind each one of those doors, there is a promise, right? For those contestants, there is a promise of hope. There is a hope for something that's going to make them happy. There is a hope for uh, value. There is a hope for contentment. There is a hope for joy. There is a hope for a better life behind each one of those doors, right? And what we're going to be looking at today is that those doors, not just on the show, but the doors of this world that the world gives you and says, behind this door, if you walk through this door, you will find happiness and joy and contentment. The doors that this world offers do not fulfill their promise. But Jesus fulfills the promise that he says in this first statement today, I am the door. Jesus says, I am the door. So we're going to be in John chapter 10. So if you want to turn there uh, or open your phone, um, you can. We will have it on the screen behind me. But I want to do a little background on John chapter 10. A lot of times when we look at the Bible, we think, okay, the beginning of John chapter 10 is a whole new setting. It's a whole new story. But when it was originally written, there weren't chapters. So John chapter 10 is actually a continuation of what happens in John chapter 9. So I'm going to do a quick recap of John chapter 9. Jesus sees this man who is born blind, and he's sitting at the gate to the city, to the synagogue, and he is begging for money because he's blind and cannot work. Jesus, really weird, um, but it's Jesus, so we can't really question it. Um, Jesus spits 
in the dirt, forms this little mud pie and sticks it on the blind man's eyes. If you are anybody but Jesus, you're just a bully, okay? But Jesus spits in the dirt, makes a mud pie, puts it on the man's eyes, and says, go wash your face. Well, you did this, but okay, whatever. Um, And so the man goes and washes his face, and what happens? He can see. He is able to see. And so now the people in the city who have seen this man every day sitting at the gate um, see him and say, surely that's not the man who was once blind. He's been blind from birth. There's no way that that is the same man. And so what they do is they take the man to the Pharisees, they take him into the synagogue, and they um, go in front of the Pharisees and say, how is this man now able to see? And the Pharisees are like, well, I don't know. <laughs> how are you able to see? And he says, I don't know, but a man named Jesus um, spit in my face. Um, the man named Jesus came to me, and he touched me, and now I am able to see that I was once blind, but now I can see, and the Pharisees say, but there's no way, because Jesus is not um, God. He is a sinner, so how could he do it? And this man's like, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All I know that I could not see, that my life was in darkness, and now I can see because I came into contact with Jesus. And so these Pharisees kicked this man out of the synagogue. This man, who was one of their own, they cast him out of the synagogue and they began to talk badly about Jesus, how he is a blasphemer, how he healed this man on the Sabbath and how he must be a sinner. And they began to devalue Jesus. They began to discredit Jesus for who he was in front of these Jewish people. And that is chapter nine, verse one of chapter 10. This is what Jesus has to say. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So let's talk about what Jesus is saying here. Jesus gives us this lesson on shepherding. Jesus gives us this lesson on sheep. And uh, this audience that he is speaking to would probably have a little bit better understanding of this vocation or this lifestyle than we do. Um, I don't know if you know a shepherd. I don't. Um, I don't even know anyone who knows a shepherd, I don't think. Um, But sheep, what they would do is during the day, they would graze and they would find grass. They would find pasture. They would eat. They would find water. They would drink. But at night, they would typically be brought into a sheep fold. Okay, so here's a picture of a sheepfold behind me. The sheepfold was usually made out of wood or stone walls um, with only one door in and out. That door would be guarded by a gatekeeper. And in these sheepfolds, if they were large enough, there would be multiple flocks of sheep in the same sheepfold. So the gatekeeper would be there and he would know who the shepherds were. So the shepherd would come in and they would get their sheep and they would leave. Um, and he would know who the sheep are. He would give them access. And Jesus says pretty clearly, if anybody goes into the sheepfold, not by the door, what are they? They're a thief. They're a robber, right? If you have a house and you have a front door, and someone comes in by a window, they're probably not invited, right? You probably will call the cops on them if they're not using the front door. 
And that is what Jesus is saying here, that thieves and robbers will come in, not by the door, but they will come in over the side. And so thieves would jump the wall, they'd grab a sheep, and they'd run off with their little pillow under their arm, right? And they would eat the food, or they would sell it, or whatever they would do with it. And so why is Jesus talking about sheep and robbers and strangers? Um, Because Jesus is speaking parabolically, Jesus is using a parable for us to understand who he is saying that he is, who he is saying that we are, and ultimately who he is saying that the Pharisees are. Um, And so Jesus is not just talking about sheep, but he is talking about the people of God, right? That the people of God are the sheep inside the sheepfold, and he's not talking about actual thieves and robbers, but Jesus is directly speaking to these Pharisees who are leading the sheep away from the door, that they are not coming through the proper door into the sheepfold. You see that um, the Pharisees, these priests, these religious leaders, were given the responsibility by God to care for the people of God. They were given the responsibility by God to care for these people. And what had they just done? They just cast out one of their sheep because what he said was that Jesus healed him. This man who they should have celebrated that he was once blind and could now see, they kicked the sheep out of the fold. And Jesus is confronting them and saying, you are the thieves, you are the robbers. You are not the proper shepherds using the door. So this audience would have been familiar with um, this analogy of the people of God being sheep. In Ezekiel chapter 34, it says, Ah, shepherds, this is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have, come, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. God is calling out the ones that were appointed to be the shepherd and care for his sheep, but they have been caring for themselves. These Pharisees were shepherds. These kings of Israel in the Old Testament, the judges of Israel in the Old Testament, these leaders of the nation of Israel who had led them astray from God's truth and God's promises are these shepherds who are no longer shepherds. But Jesus is saying, you are thieves and robbers. These leaders of the Jewish people were looking after themselves. And so if we, the people of God, are the sheep, if the robbers are the Pharisees, and who does Jesus say that he is? Well, in verse, chapter, in verse 7 through 10, in John, we see that Jesus says to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have came that they may have life and they will have it abundantly. I am the door that Jesus is the way into the sheepfold, that Jesus is the way into protection, that Jesus is the way into safety, into rest, into um, sleeping without any cares. Jesus is the way into ultimately the kingdom of heaven. 
And that is how Jesus is speaking. Jesus is not just saying he's the way into the sheepfold, but he's saying, I am the way for you to get to your, your eternal sheepfold, your eternal heaven, your eternity with God. I am the way. Our first point is that Jesus is the only door to life. Jesus isn't the only door, just isn't just the only door to life eternal, but Jesus is the only door to an abundant, rich, joy-filled life on earth as it is in heaven. That as believers, as Christians, we don't just look forward to one day when we will be in front of God in heaven, but as believers, we look to the day where today we can have abundant, joy-filled lives because we have Christ. And so the struggles, the um, mess of this world does not affect us like it affects people without Jesus because we have Christ, we have hope. We are um, the sheep inside the sheepfold. Earlier I talked about the many doors that the world offers, right? And I just feel like there's so many doors that it's hard um, to not see them, right? If you see advertisements about here is a way that's going to make you happy. Here is this product that you have to have. Here is a car that you must get. And and if you don't do these things, then, hey, your life's not going to be as good, right? And so the world just has all these doors in front of us that they are trying to sell us. They are trying to draw our affections to them. They are trying to take your money to buy them. And they are trying to do all these things. And you know what it reminds me of? reminds me of Monsters, Inc. Um, whenever they're in the door factory, um, right, there's just doors as far as the eye can see, and these doors are a little bit different than what we're talking about today. Um, but, uh, man, have y'all seen that movie? Whatever. Um, uh, um, there, there's monsters in those doors. Um, there's an analogy some there about the world. Um, all right, but the world just puts all these doors in front of you as far as the eye can see, that there's so many different ways that you can have life, that your life will be better if you just go through this door, if you just choose what I am giving you. And all of these doors have a promise that ultimately they can't fulfill. Each one of these doors are stealing and killing and destroying the true life that Jesus offers you as a believer. So what are some of these doors? Uh, Well, I just came up with a few. The door of perfection, um, the need for you to control every aspect of your life and that you are able to put things in order. And if those things are not in order, what does that bring you? That brings you anxiety and stress, that you try to control all the aspects of this world. And guess what? You can't. So the door of perfection, the promise of perfection that if you can just set things up the way that you need them to go is going to bring you happiness, it's false. It's not going to work. The door of success that maybe you're just never quite content with what you have and where you are. You need one more vehicle. You need one more promotion. You need one more toy to take out into the desert. Um, the door of relationships, that your identity is formed by who others say you are. Your identity is formed by being a spouse. Your identity is formed by being a parent or a child or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And if you don't have that, maybe you're, you don't have an identity anymore, that that door of relationships is not going to make you happy. The door of beauty and being identified by what the world's definition of beauty is instead of by God's definition of the imago day that you were created in the image of God. 
that that door of beauty is going to bring happiness to you, that's not going to work. The door of self, to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you rely on yourself because you are the only person that you can rely on, that everybody else in your life has either let you down or will let you down, so you don't trust anybody, you don't let anybody in, you don't um, live in intimate relationships that we were designed to live in because you are the only person who you can trust. That door is going to leave you unhappy. And then there's the door of love, this door of love that the world offers, and I do quotations because uh, the love that the world thinks is love is being accepting of all lifestyles, being accepting of all truths, that your truth is what you want it to be and just live that way. And if you do that, you'll be happy. And then if I do that, I'll be happy. And let me tell you something, that is not real love. That true love is only found through the door that leads to life. That true love is found only on the cross of Jesus Christ who laid himself down so that you would live, so that you would have life. He gave up his own. That is true love. That is the love that will only lead to life. That is the only door that saves. It's the only door to heaven. And guess what? That's an unpopular claim that Jesus makes. It was unpopular for Jesus to make that claim to the Pharisees, and it's unpopular in our world today. That maybe people know that you're a Christian, and maybe people think you're a bigot, or you're um, hate, or that you have hate in your heart because you're a Christian. And how could you actually believe that there's only one way to heaven? That's so narrow-minded. Get out of your box. Realize that it's not just you. I know that some people in this world, when you tell them there's only one way, they will say, how could a good God only offer one way to get to heaven? And as a Christian, how could a good God allow any way for me to get to heaven? How can a good God allow a sinner like myself to have access to an eternal life with a God who delights in me and loves me? I am so broken. I am so messed up. There is no way that a good and holy God should allow me anyway. So how are we going to complain about there only being one way where there should be no way? But accept the grace, accept the truth that God does allow us a way to himself through his son, Jesus, on the cross. Jesus is the door. He's the door to heaven. He's the door to life. And every other door will leave you wanting and broken and unfulfilled. Jesus is the door. Verse 11 through 16, let's see what he says next. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leads and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Point number two, Jesus is our good shepherd. If Jesus is our good shepherd, what does that make us? It makes us sheep. Right? So I don't know if you've spent any time in church, 
I don't know if you've heard this passage preached on or you've studied it. Um, maybe you have, and if you have, then maybe you've heard that sheep are dumb, okay? Um, you're welcome. Um, maybe you have heard a preacher talk about the fact that sheep will just um, walk off of a cliff thinking that it's a tiny drop and then um, all the other sheep will follow that sheep off of the cliff until entire herds of sheep walk off a cliff and fall to their death. At least the ones at the beginning. The ones at the end just kind of bounce and um, run off. <laughs> that was a bad joke. Um, um, hey, uh, maybe you've heard that, because that is true. Sheep do walk off cliffs and die, and then they just follow one after another. Um, or maybe you've heard um, the fact that sheep, without a shepherd leading them to green pastures, a, a sheep herd or sheep um, flock will find a patch of grass. They will begin to eat that grass, and they will not leave that area, and so all the grass will be gone, and the only thing left in that area is their excrements. And they will begin to eat that, and they will begin to die, because that's not a healthy diet. Um, and that is true, and maybe you've heard that, uh, or maybe you've heard that sheep um, really just, they're, they're just kind of dumb, and they follow the leader. Have you ever seen this video? Oh, watch this video. I don't know if you can really see it. But that is sheep running around a car. And so I believe what happened is one sheep was like, hey, I wonder what's on the other side of this car. And then all the rest of the sheep were like, hey, I'm going to follow Steve. And then they kept going around the car until Steve got to the other side of the car and saw a sheep following the other sheep. He's like, hey, where are they going? And he began. And then there's a sheep cyclone, right? And so sheep will just follow the leader without any guidance, without any leadership. None of them actually know that's going on. Maybe you've heard that sheep are dumb before. And that is true, but I do not believe that that is why the Bible uses this illustration here. Um, I don't believe that Jesus is bringing up this um, illustration of us being sheep and him being a shepherd because he wants the people of God to feel dumb. I believe that Jesus is bringing up this illustration because of the nature of the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. What does Jesus say? He says that my sheep know me and I know my sheep. That my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. That the sheep, they might be, might be dumb creatures, but remember earlier I told you there could be multiple flocks in the same sheep fold. What would happen is the shepherd would be able to go into that fold and he would be able to speak his voice and the sheep would recognize that shepherd's voice and know that that is my shepherd. And so just that flock would leave. You know, that doesn't sound like a dumb animal to me. That actually sounds pretty smart being able to recognize their shepherd's voice and differentiate it from another shepherd's voice. And so Jesus, as he's speaking, and he is using this illustration, um, we need to realize if Jesus is our shepherd and we are the sheep, what does that mean about Jesus? It means, one, that Jesus knows us, that we are his sheep, and he knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. And if we are the sheep of Jesus, if we are his flock, then that means that Jesus knows your name. Jesus, the King of glory in heaven, knows your name. He doesn't just know your name, but he knows you. He knows the darkest parts of you. 
He knows the great way, the great personality that you have in the way that he created you. You are not just a number in the flock, but Jesus knows you personally and intimately. The God of the universe knows your name. He knows who you are. And our second thing, he cares for you. Jesus cares for us as his sheep. Psalm 23, I think it's one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why do we not want? Why do we not um, have any desires or needs? It's because he makes us lie down in green pastures. He sits us beside still waters. That as sheep, the Lord leads us to green pastures where we don't just eat, but we are able to what? Lie down. We are able to rest. And then he leads us beside still waters. This sounds like paradise for a sheep, right? If I'm a sheep, like this is the shepherd I want because this sounds awesome. We have peace. We have the ability um, for the, or the Lord leads us to these places where we can find rest. What else does he do? do? He restores my soul, that the Lord leads me in paths of righteousness, that our shepherd leads us in ways that we can't lead ourselves. As a sheep, I can't find my way from one place to another, but the Lord leads me in paths of righteousness. As a human being, I don't have righteousness of my own. I have to rely on Jesus to lead me into his righteousness. And then I can now wear his righteousness as a coat for myself. It's not my own, but Jesus leads us to it. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Even though I walk in this area where animals, where wolves are ready to attack me, I fear no evil why? Because his rod and his staff, they comfort me. That Jesus is a shepherd who has a rod and a staff. And what does that mean? That rod is used to defend the sheep from oncoming animals, from attacks. That Jesus can attack and kill any enemies that would attack us with his rod. But what does he do with that staff, with the crook on the end? When we are walking away close to the edge, Jesus can reach out that shepherd's staff and pull us back into the fold, pull us back into his, um, into his flock. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. So as followers of Jesus, if he is our shepherd and we are his sheep, we must submit to the guidance of our shepherd. We must submit to the guidance of our Jesus. That means that we read his word. We are obedient to him in the word of God because it protects us. It leads us where we need to go because we are sheep. And I'm not going to say that we're dumb, but we struggle. <laughs> I think everyone in this room knows that when you have relied on your own intellect, your own wisdom to live this life, it probably didn't end up well. But when we trust Jesus, when we read his word, when we trust and are obedient to what he has called us to do, it protects us and it leads us into paths of righteousness. And then the last thing that Jesus does as our shepherd, he lays down his life for us. When the wolves come, our Jesus does not disappear. 
when the wolves come, our Jesus is there to protect and defend us and lay his life down for us because he is not a hired hand. He's not the Pharisee who was given the um, task, given the responsibility of caring for his sheep, but is not up for the task. Jesus is not a hired hand. He is our shepherd. Jesus is there, and he is able to fulfill his promises. How many times in your life have people let you down? How many times when you are relying on somebody, they didn't fulfill their promise? How many times have you trusted a door of this world to satisfy you? How many times have you trusted and walked in a direction where you thought that there was going to be happiness? You thought there was going to be joy and contentment? You thought there was going to be all the desires of your heart only to find out that it left you wanting, it left you empty, it left you unfulfilled? My guess is it's happened often. Again, this world offers us promises that it can't keep. But our Jesus, our Jesus upholds and fulfills his promises to us because he is our good shepherd who lays his life down for us. That the wolf comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but Jesus lays down his life for us. In verse 17 and 18, he says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Man, this is so cool. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus points to the cross and Jesus says, I am going to lay down my life for you people. I'm going to lay down my life because I have the authority to lay it down. And guess what? I have the authority to pick it up. Who else can say that? Nobody. Who else can say I have the authority to die and then I have the authority to not be dead no more? Jesus. And Jesus lays down his life for us and he is foreshadowing to these people that I'm going to lay down myself for you and I'm going to resurrect from the grave. And then he did it. And we are still going to be attacked that the wolf will attack us, but guess what? That wolf doesn't have any teeth anymore. That when the wolf attacks you, you cannot be harmed because you have Jesus who has already defeated him. The wolf has been defeated. The enemy has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. Your bondage in your life, your guilt, your shame has been defeated by Jesus. And when he picked his life back up, he picked up your life. And now we have the authority to live with him because Jesus gave it to us. Because Jesus... I said, I have defeated the wolf. I'm the shepherd. I take care of my sheep. So, when you feel unworthy of the grace of God, remember that Jesus says you are new and you are righteous and you are whole and you are loved. And when you are tempted and when you have anxiety and fear that is crippling, remember that there is a peace that comes with Jesus who can lead us beside still waters. And remember that when you are tempted and when you are, are looking like what you used to look like, you know what I mean? You're not quite living how you want to be living and you are tempted to dive back into what you used to look like. 
Remember that the wolf doesn't have any teeth. That Jesus has defeated our enemy. So when the world attacks you, when the world feels like it's falling in on you, when you feel like you aren't good enough to live your life as Jesus has called you to, remember that he has already died for you. You have already won because King Jesus is victorious. Jesus is the only door to true life. And Jesus is also walking beside us as our good shepherd. Church, let us submit to that. Let us submit to him as our shepherd. I know that some of us in this room have been trying to live our life on our own accord for far too long. And what I ask you today, submit to the good shepherd. Don't buy what the world is offering you what the world is telling you is going to make you happy. Turn to Jesus, the door and the shepherd, and we trust and follow him alone. Let's pray. Jesus, we uh, are just so grateful that, that you laid down your life that you see us, that you know us. You know the darkest parts of our heart. And you still care for us. You still love us. For the person in here right now who is feeling shame and is feeling unlovable, Jesus, I just pray that they would remember that you have already died for them. You died for their sins, you died for their mistakes, and you want communion with them. So Lord, for that person in here, I pray that they would give in to you, they would trust you. And if that is you, you can mark that on your connect card on the part that you can tear off at the bottom. You can turn that in. If you are trusting in Jesus today for the first time, we are so, so grateful and we praise God for that because this is the best decision that you will ever make. We ask that you would turn that in to the giving box on your way out so that we would know. If you want to come talk to me, talk to Alex afterwards, we invite you to do that. Jesus, for the believer in this room, for the believer that is chosen to live on their own, to chosen to define their own path, to not trust you, I pray that today they would be drawn back into the flock, drawn back into your care and your love. Jesus, it is so uncomprehending that you laid down your life for me. Lord, I pray that I would remember that, that I wouldn't listen to the lies of the enemy, that I wouldn't listen to my insecurities and my fears, but I would trust you and what you say about me. And I pray that for every person in this room today. 
In Jesus, it is in your name that we pray. Amen.